You're listening to a podcast from Turner's Hill Free Church. For more information and resources, visit turnershillfreechurch.org.uk. Well, good morning, everybody. It is, again, a real pleasure to, to be here again. I hope it is for you as well as for me. To, uh, what a wonderful morning. That was a, such a wonderful time of worship, wasn't it? And uh, I feel excited. You know, it's good. It's wonderful seeing all the young people as well at the front, and you, Matt, as well, dancing at the front. That was, that's good. It's good to see. You know? it's, uh, yeah, it's wonderful. Uh, Nick had a, uh, a lovely picture this morning for me of, uh, bit of the preach being a bit like a broadsword coming down and, and whack, whacking things apart. So I feel quite uh, strengthened by that. No, I'm, I, I, you're laughing, but I'm not joking. I feel strengthened by that, Nick. And uh, we're going to chop off some heads this morning and, and break down some stuff. So that's, uh, this is good. This is good. So thank you very much for that word, Nick, this morning. We, uh, I've been... Uh, every now and again, I think it might be a good idea. You know, you can get these uh, plans to go through the Bible. Can you everybody hear me? Okay. Do I need to? Okay. Is it? Yeah. I sometimes find that easier. I tend to tend to um, want a bit of battery in it. Cool. I can use this if it's a problem. Sorry. Now you're a wanderer. You can. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but right. Let's just check. It's got power. In the best possible thing. Yeah, it has. It's full battery. Mm. Oh, okay. That's perfect. Thank you very much. That's going to clip on somewhere, and you can do that yourself. <laughs> Thank you very much. I can't find a pocket. So, yes, as I was saying, every now and again, I just think it would be a good idea to uh, do one of these walk through the Bible in a year plans. You know, so you go through the entire, saves you missing out any bits, you go through the entire. Bible, and it's supposed to take you about a year. I have never, ever finished it in a year. I'm, at the moment, about 70 days behind the, uh, the plan, which is quite impressive, given there's only 365 days in a year, so you can pray for me about that, too. But sometimes you read, you read these plans. It does a little bit of the, um, the Old Testament, and then another little bit of the Old Testament, and then a bit of the New Testament, and a little psalm, so you get a nice little mixture Sometimes you, you read through and the, the pieces just seem to connect together and they say, say the same thing. And I was reading through the other day and it, it all just seemed to connect together and I wanted to share some of that with you this morning. So the first bit was from Exodus. And you remember where Moses goes up to Mount Sinai and he gets the, has this incredible encounter with God and he gets all the things written on the stone tablets. And while he's up there, while he's having this amazing encounter. He comes down and he discovers that the Israelites have, have gone a little bit astray. Do you remember what they've, what they've been up to? Yes, exactly. They've made the golden calf. They've had this, this bizarre, it is just bizarre. They've had this incredible escape from Egypt and God has done some amazing things in Egypt. You know, he's done some you know, he turned the, the, the water into blood and he sent the frogs and he sent the gnats and he's and he's, he's killed the, the first child, and it's, it's been devastating. And then they've, they've been brought out of Egypt, they've been following this pillar of cloud and this pillar of fire. You'd think, wow, this is, this is pretty convincing that God is awesome and should be worshipped. But they get to Mount Sinai, and Moses is gone for a, 
you know, a few hours, and I think, oh, well, he's, he's gone, what are we going to do now? Oh, I know, let's make a golden calf and worship that instead. And Moses comes down the mountain, and he sees that they've just, they've gone into what is described as, you know, something of an orgy, you know, they've, they've lost control, and they're out of control, and, and into all sorts of mischief. And Moses gets pretty violent with them. He, he, he comes up, and he he accosts uh, Aaron and he grinds down this golden calf and he, and he melts it and he makes them drink it and sprinkles it in the water and he makes them drink it. Yes. So it must have done some nasty things to their insides, I would imagine. And then he calls together some of the people who are still following God um, and they, they grab their swords and they, they go and hack away and about 3,000 people are, are killed uh, to, to try and restore law and order in the, in the camp. It's a, it's a violent response to, to uh, shall we call it going native? That might be the, the best term for it. A violent response to going native. So that was, that was the passage uh, in the first bit. The next bit was from Nehemiah. Uh, if you remember the story of Nehemiah, Nehemiah comes back to Jerusalem to try and rebuild the city. He rebuilds the wall, doesn't he? tries to, to put everything back together. The people there sort of trying to eke out an existence in the, in the dirt by the, the impression that you get. And he comes and he builds up the city and he, he restores the uh, sort of customs and the traditions and makes sure that they follow the law and that the, the priests are set up and the, the, uh, there's proper governance in the temple, etc., etc. And it's all going really well. Nehemiah does a successful job and the people are, are sort of getting the hang of it. But he has to go back to... Um, Somebody help me out here. Where is it? He, Babylon. Babylon. Yeah, that'll. Thank you very much. Uh, he has to go back and well, to do some business, whatever it is he has to do back in Babylon. And uh, when he comes back again, he discovers that everything has gone to pot. Everything that he set up, all the law and the order and the following of the of the uh, the temple codes, etc. Everything has just disappeared again. And there are some things that the uh, the Israelites have been getting up to. They've, this chap called Tobiah has taken up residence in the temple. The Levites aren't being given their portions. They've, they've had to go back to the fields to get their food, etc. Otherwise they won't have anything to eat. There's people working and trading on the Sabbath. There's people turning up with their carts and, and trading. And they've discovered that, that people have intermarried with the other tribes again. People with other religions and other faiths. And it's again sort of diluting this uh, the, the, the faith of the Israelites. And Nehemiah just, he goes apoplectic. He is genuinely violent. He goes around the people and he starts tugging out people's hair. And he's, he's very violent with the people to say, what on earth are you doing? I left. I left and it was all great. And now I'm back and what on earth has happened? It's just gone to pop. And he is, he is genuinely, you know, I expect the people were worried about their safety. He is, he is violent in his response to what is happening with the people. And it seems like when you read these stories together, it seems like if there's a, if there's a strong leader, he can, he can sort of keep people in check and keep people in control. But as soon as that leader goes away, it's like uh, the people sort of implode, isn't it? And they, uh, they sort of let loose and they're, oh, wow, he's gone. Now we can do what we like. And it, it all goes strangely wrong. 
<laughs> Where is Jeff? Yeah. Very good. Yes, this is why I'm here. He asked me to speak about this. So. <laughs> and you'd think in the New Testament it would get a little bit, bit better, wouldn't you? You know, now in the New Testament we're all filled with the Spirit and we, we all have the mind of Christ, so there wouldn't be any problems with that when, when our leaders go away. Except that when we read in Corinthians, we see exactly the same thing happening. Paul is writing to the Corinthians and he has to warn them very strongly, you guys have better sort yourselves out and stop sinning. Otherwise, when I get back, there is going to be trouble. And that is the, the, the effect of what he's saying. If you don't sort yourselves out, then when I come back, there is going to be trouble. And how could that church get into a state where Paul is writing, has to write so strongly to this church? to sort them out? How could it have gone so bad in the short period of time where he's been away to when he comes back again that it could have just devolved into into, um, anarchy, into fleshly desires, etc. But the more I think about it, the more I will will answer that question a bit later. That was a rhetorical question. We'll come back to that one a bit later. The more I thought about this, the more I put these things together, and you, the more I realised actually there's there's a lot of the Bible devoted to, to this sort of topic. What what do people get up to when they're left to their own devices? When there's nobody watching, when there's no when there's no leader trying to keep us in check, when Jesus isn't around with his disciples correcting them constantly, what is our, what is it that people revert to? What is it that we revert to when when we're left to our own devices. And there's loads of warnings about this, aren't there? There's the, the story of the, the ten virgins, aren't there? Do you remember that one? And they've got their oil, and there's a warning. What's going to happen when the, when, the, when the bridegroom comes? Are you going to have your oil filled up, or is it going to be empty? And there's others. There's the story of the ten talents as well. The master comes home, and he asks the people, well, what have you done with the money that I gave you? Have you got more money, or have you got less? I'm sure you can think of other... Examples as well. Any, any suggestions? I don't think I've exhausted them. <laughs> okay, we can do some homework there. We'll uh, come up with some other examples of that one. And so much of the epistles as well, when the, when the apostles write to the churches, so much of it is about keeping the faith. You know, keep going, keep going strong. Remember what you were called to. Remember where you're going. Remember what it's all about. What do we do when no one is watching appears to be quite a fundamental test of who we are as people. Yeah. Of who, yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's a measure of, of our spirituality, isn't it? A measure of our maturity. Do we, do we willingly obey God and chase towards him? Or do we need someone with a large stick behind us sort of whacking us in the right direction, pulling out our hair when things go wrong? I've got some uh, pastoral tips for Jeff, actually, when he gets back after reading this, so uh, I'll pass those on. And, then, and there's this, this really quite devastating verse in Luke. We will, we, at one point, we will actually get to the passage I'm preaching from this morning. I'm just sort of giving a summary at the moment. In Luke 18, and Jesus says, What will the Son of Man find when I come to the earth? Will the Son of Man find any faith when he comes back? I find that quite a... It seems like quite a genuine question. There is a genuine sort of possibility that when Jesus comes back, that he's, he's not going to find any faith. Or at least he's going to find the people who have, who have forgotten and, and given up. 
And I have to admit, there is a sense of that. I recognise that in my own life as well. When I say it's these people, you know, it's these Israelites getting it wrong, or it's these Corinthians, what were they thinking? Actually, it's, it's not, is it? It's, it's us. And I recognise that in myself, and I, and I see that. And actually, I'm, I'm rather ashamed to admit that when, when my brother sort of contacted me and said, do you want to come and preach on this Sunday? And you sort of, oh, right, yes, yeah, so let's, let's brush off the old spirituality then. Let's uh, wake myself up, come on, we need to start praying again. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's get back into God. You know, what is that? What, why, did I, why was I not already in a place where I was, you know, ready to receive and ready to, to speak? I had to wind myself up sort of spiritually. To, I know this is a, it's a bit of a weird picture, but it's, it's true, isn't it? Why, why am I settled down in that sort of gathering dust in between those, those preachers? So this, so here we go. The trouble is, I think, the fundamental problem is that we're all sheep. That's the that's the thing, isn't it? Jesus said that in. Uh, we can read about it in Matthew. He says, "These these are these are lost sheep. They're sheep without a shepherd." And the trouble with sheep is, I don't I don't have a lot of experience with sheep, but even I know that sheep have a tendency to just wander off. Don't they? They get they wander off. They get a little bit lost, they get eaten by wolves, they get into trouble, they can get into mischief, they get stuck in, in hedges, etc., etc. And that is, that is just exactly what we do. When we don't have that shepherd in the field, sort of with his stick, you know, making sure we all stay in the same place, there is a tendency for us to wander off and get stuck and get into trouble and possibly get eaten by wolves. And I've, I've experienced that in, in my own Christian life as well. One of the churches where we were at, there was a, a very strong leader there. And when he decided to retire, the church just imploded. And it was quite a, quite a painful time. And it was because the, the people just wandered off. And the, there was no maturity there to, to sort of keep going, keep in the right direction. And that's why we need... That is why we need local shepherds, isn't it? It's why we need shepherds with us to, to make sure we don't wander off and keep us on the, on the, uh, in the right field and in the right grass, etc., etc. Because the reality is without them, nothing gets done and nothing, nothing seems to happen. Here's the thing as well. Jesus said that he is our good shepherd. We can read about that in John chapter 10. Jesus is our good shepherd. And he is the best shepherd that we could ever have, isn't he? He is the one who knows exactly what we need. He's the one who knows exactly what is good for us, how to keep us on the straight and narrow, what areas we need to avoid. It's Jesus that will shepherd us. And it's Jesus that will keep us in the right place. He's the one that will lead us by still waters and in green pastures to lie down. But actually, I struggle with this, and I, as I was writing it, I realised, I think I talked about this last time, I struggle with this, because if that, is the, if that is true, if Jesus is my shepherd, then how could I ever possibly go wrong? How could I ever possibly wander off like a sheep? If Jesus is there with his staff, making sure I'm going in the right place, how is it possible that I, as a sheep, can follow the wrong thing and fall into a ditch or get eaten by a wolf or whatever it is? that sheep do. 
How can it be? But we see it all around us, don't we? We see it. There's still divisions in churches. We see sins. We see hurt and disappointments. We see the, the sort of terrible things that churches get up to reported in the media. And we just have to sort of glance through the Bible, don't we, to see how, how the churches have got into a state in the New Testament. How can it possibly be, with Jesus as our shepherd, how can it be that we get into these things? And uh, I think the answer is, it's because it's a sign of immaturity. It's a sign that we have immature churches and immature Christians who haven't grown up, who are still being sheep. So that brings me to my the first verse then from 1 Corinthians. If we could pop that. Oh, here we go. We, Joe and I agreed a signal that when it was time to put the verse on, so we could do it. So I think it was this one. Okay, there we go. That's good. Very subtly done. So 1 Corinthians 3 2. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you are not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. There's the idea here that when we. Although Jesus becomes our shepherd and we become Christians and that's, that's fantastic, actually we don't magically transform at that point into, into different people. We get the spirit and the, and the spirit transforms us, but it seems to be a bit of a, a slow growth. We don't immediately become mature people, mature spiritual Christians. There seems to be, a as we go through the stages of infancy and childhood and sort of adolescence and etc., etc., as we as we grow up in God. And Paul gives the impression here, well, when I was with you, actually, I was just giving you milk. You know, little teaspoons of milk and, and feeding you these little bits of spirituality. Because actually, you weren't yet ready to take, on, to take on sort of meat and to eat heavier things. The trouble is, though, with the Corinthians, they haven't moved on from that point. They're still being spoon-fed milk, and they still haven't really developed any maturity. They still haven't moved on. And that is really bizarre. And it's very unnatural. Because actually, as, as Christians, we're, it's, just how, it's just natural that we mature and develop and grow. It's a bit like if you have a little baby and they, they, just, they just grow by themselves, don't they? I know they need feeding and drinking, so it's not... I, I realise you have to input things as well. And there is also output, things output as well. But there we go. <laughs> But they, it's just natural that they don't have to think about it. They don't have to put any effort into it. They don't have to work really hard to grow in that extra inch. They just, they just do it, don't they? It's just their natural inclination to, to get bigger and bigger. And now Abby is, is nearly, she's very proud. She's nearly looking her grandma in the eye, which uh, she's very proud about. And they, they just get bigger. It's just natural. They don't have to think about it. And if they, they didn't grow, there'd be something wrong, wouldn't there? There'd be a, some sort of medical issue in the way. Like, I don't know what it might be. Maybe there are not enough nutrients in their diet or something, or, or some sort of genetic disorder, or, or whatever it might be. But there, there would be something wrong to stop them growing up into adults. And this is the trouble. I think we can go to church week on week, and we can... We can do all of the actions. We can be sort of spoon-fed the, the gospel and the message and the, and the milk week on week. And it's possible that none of us grow, that we stay infants. We're being spoon-fed week on week and we just stay exactly as we are, not growing and not maturing and not growing in God. 
And there's a, there's a passage in Hebrews which um, talks about exactly this. Hebrews chapter 5, 11 to 14. Very good. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain because you are slow to learn. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truth of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. And that is exactly the problem, I think. We're not meant to stay infants. We're not meant to stay baby Christians. We're meant to grow. We're meant to mature. It is just as natural as children growing up. But the trouble is some of us still are. Some of us still have immaturity. We're still drinking milk and still practicing the same things that we did, the same things of the flesh, Paul calls it in the, in the passage. And he says, but you shouldn't be doing that now. You've been coming for so long and receiving teaching by now. You should be teachers yourselves. By now you should be telling other people about the gospel, not, not being spoon-fed this milk. You should be teaching others. You are the ones that should be bringing up the infants and showing them how to do it, not still be infants yourselves. And you can see his frustration here. Look, look, look what is possible. Look what you could have been. You could have been sort of taking your place in the kingdom of God and, and, and doing your bit. And that's why we need, why are, we, why we desperately need church leaders and why Church leaders can get so frustrated as well with their, with their flocks because there are immature Christians who need their hair pulling out and the, the sticks on their bottoms and whatever else it might be to keep us on the, on the straight narrow. Just like the Israelites with Moses and just like the Israelites with Nehemiah and just like the Corinthians with, um, with Paul. So how does that change? How do we move then? How, if we are sort of stuck, if we feel that we're stuck in our maturity or, or hit a plateau, as it were, and we, if we feel like we're not growing, then how, how do we change that? How do we, how do we mature in, in Jesus, in, in our spirituality? I've got a few thoughts here from, the, from Corinthians, which I think will help. The first one is to keep our eye on the prize. Which is, surprisingly, quite easy not to do. The first tip is to remember our salvation and remember just what God has done for us. The wonder of what he has done. It's surprisingly easy to forget, isn't it? We get so immersed in the world around us. Work is very stressful and, and we have to ferry the children to and from their clubs and school, etc., etc. And life. Life just is very busy. It's, and sometimes it's hard to forget that actually there is a much bigger reality. There is a bigger reality. There is God who is working in our lives and has a, a plan for the, for the planet and a plan of salvation for all around us. And that at the end of the day, we're going to have heaven and we're going to be in this 
incredible place for eternity. That is, that is a prize that's worth remembering, isn't it? That is worth doing our utmost for, for fighting for, for, for discarding everything else to go for. And if we have that in our minds, then how could anything else feel as important? And if we have that in our minds, how could sort of disagreements amongst us and, and, and pettiness amongst us, it just it would cease to be an issue, wouldn't it? Because we know that there is a prize that, that overshadows anything else we might have on, on this, in this life. Paul had a clear idea of the reward of heaven. And as a, as a very trivial example, Emma and I have, um, have recently started Slimming World Diets. We, uh, she bought a uh, pair of scales off of Amazon a few weeks ago, and I stood on it, and it was a little bit of a nasty shock, to say the least. So we've started these Slimming World Diets, which has just meant that I've been hungry for the last few weeks. <laughs> but there we go. But there is, a, there is a, that sort of eye on the prize that keeps you going, I think. And my, in my head, when I see sort of treats, like we often have uh, chocolates and things in the office, you know, with pastries or whatever. I'm beginning to understand why I need to go on swimming well. And, we, you know, the children have treats at home and things. And you think, oh, yeah, that would be, you know, just wish one wouldn't hurt, would it? You can just, just sneak one in. But with the eye on the prize, I'm imagining standing on the scales again on Friday and thinking, ah, that didn't go very well. The eye on the prize is... Is, is training my mind to think, actually, there's, there's something bigger at stake here. I can, uh, I can actually lose weight if I, if I resist these things and, and wait for, for Friday when I can, I can get my prize and actually have lost a few pounds. The, our eyes on the prize will help us to forget the, the distractions that we have around us and to keep, keep on going. Paul also writes in Corinthians, again on the same theme, that with our eye on the prize, we can also discipline ourselves like an athlete. And we can see that in, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I'm going to do the secret uh, signal here. There we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Let's enter it here. Look. Everyone who competes, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Discipline is a bit of an unpopular word in our culture, isn't it? It's very unpopular to say you need to be take sort of regular disciplined approach to this. You know, people don't like it. They want no, I no, I want my freedom. I want to, I want to dictate how I can do things. I want to, I want to say if I can turn up or not turn up, or I might, something better might turn up. I want to, I want to have the freedom to uh, to do what I want to do. Discipline is 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 not a pleasant word. But actually, discipline, in this sense, is fundamental to transforming ourselves. Paul talks about the, the sort of transformation of our minds, doesn't he? And actually, discipline is one of the fundamental ways of transforming our minds into, into becoming more mature and more spiritual. And what are, the, uh, what are the disciplines that we can go through 
as Christians? You, you can have some ideas as well. What do you think the disciplines are that we can train ourselves in? Read the Bible. There was lots there. But take it. God's word. God's word, yeah. So reading the Bible regularly, yeah, that's a good one. Prayer. And prayer, yes, and prayer. That's a good one. Is a good discipline? Solitude. Solitude, yeah, that's an interesting one. Yeah? Service. And service, yes, yes, that's a good one. I don't have that one written down, so extra bonus points for that one. <laughs> that's right, but yes, serving other people is, is a discipline. Fasting, yes. That one is my most unpopular one, but <laughs> perhaps given my revelation. But <laughs> Leading Leading of the Spirit. Leading of the Spirit, that's interesting. So, the, sort of, the discipline, I suppose, is is restraining ourselves to hear the Spirit, is that? And, did you have another suggestion? <laughs> I'm sure it's a very good suggestion. There are no wrong answers. Well, there are, but yeah, I'm sure you're just right. Okay, yeah, yes. Well, yeah, patience, waiting for God. Yeah, that's right. Yes, that's right. It is Obeying his word. Obeying his word, yes. That's, that's, yes, so reading it and obeying it, that's interesting, isn't it? There are two, we can do the one without the other. Well, yes. <laughs> so, yeah, that's interesting. Meditating. Meditating, yeah, that's a good one. But, yes, letting it absorb into us and change it. And fellowship, yes, that is a good one. And actually, being around other believers can can both sharpen us and and inspire us. And sometimes it's hard work, but yeah, usually it's good. <laughs> yeah, well, those are very good suggestions. And these disciplines are actually really important. The trouble with disciplines is, though, it requires some discipline to do them, doesn't it? That is the fundamental problem. And my my own life. I have noticed it is much easier to switch on Netflix than it is to start praying. That is that is the problem, isn't it? it? When you get home from work and you're tired and you think, oh well, I could I could do some Bible study now and do some praying, or or I could turn on Netflix. You know, I am a little bit tired, God. You know, it's been a long day and it's stressful. And yeah, that's that's okay. God understands. But discipline is the word itself describes it, doesn't it? We need to discipline our bodies. To get into the habit of these of these things, otherwise we don't mature. We train our bodies, and eventually that training produces the transformation that Paul is talking about. We are athletes, and if, if, the, if the Olympic guys they, they train and train, don't they? And all they want is a is a little gold disc like this. We are training for heaven. We are training for the kingdom of God. You would think that we would be more motivated than the Olympians to train as hard as we can to get into that place so that we won't be disqualified for the prize. So we've talked about um, training, we've talked about keeping our eye on the prize, we've talked about disciplines. The other thing is, as we've, as we've already mentioned, but being filled with the Spirit. It's transformational. But again, it's, it's actually a bit of a discipline as well. Because every morning we, we can wake up and we can ask, God, will you fill me with your spirit today? Will you help me today? It's so easy just to wake up with all the worries of the world, isn't it? And charge straight into life. But actually we, we need to be disciplined and asking for the spirit. And the spirit will help us. We cannot do anything without him. 
And the fourth one, the last one, actually, is, we've, we've already said, is surround yourself with, with other Christians. And this is, this is going to sound weird, but surround yourself with people who are quite happy to pull out your hair. That's, that's what I'm, my point this morning. We need to surround ourselves with people who are happy to step into our lives and to say, hang on, this isn't, this isn't the right direction. This isn't what you should do. This is the way. Walk in this way. Because we are like sheep and we follow, we follow whatever is there. I know, I know we sort of shout about how we are our own people and we, we have our own minds, but actually we do tend to follow whoever's around us. And whether if that person, if that per- people around us are chasing after God and enthusiastic about Jesus and, and following Him, then that's good because we'll just naturally follow them and, and do the same things. But if the people surrounding us are, are cynical and, and, and doubting and unenthusiastic and pulling us down, then because we're sheep, we'll follow them as well. So if you can surround yourself with people who are happy to pull out your hair and go for it, but there's also the, the reverse of that, isn't there? Can you imagine what it would have been like if Moses had come down the mountain and he, he hadn't said anything to the Israelites about what they were doing? He would have been like, oh, these guys, these guys, <laughs> and, just, and just sort of carried on. Or if Nehemiah had, had, had come back to Jerusalem and he'd seen everything that was going on and he just thought, oh, what are they like? And he, and he didn't do anything about it. It would have, the people would have still been lost now, wouldn't they? They would have been destroyed. God would have, would have wiped out the Israelites with Moses, or he, he would have sent the Babylonians back to, to rule them again with, the, with Nehemiah. We have a responsibility as mature sheep. We have a responsibility to speak into the lives of others, to pull out the hair of those around us. Right? Just I am talking figuratively, but um, you never know, it might help. And actually, when we, when we refuse to speak into other people's lives, actually we're doing them a disservice. We're allowing them to, to can continue in, in, their, in their sin or in their disobedience or whatever it might be, and we're allowing them to, to, um, to miss out on the prize. And we become culpable in, in what's going on. We need Jesus as our shepherd, but we also need to shepherd each other. We are a family, aren't we? And we love each other and we look out for each other. And we need to give each other permission to speak into our lives. So as I say, I've got some pastoral tips for Jeff now, so he, when he comes round to your house, don't be surprised if he starts with it with the hair pulling and the, and the big sticks, etc., etc. So here is, the, here is the point now, I guess. Do we feel like we're a sheep without a shepherd this morning? Do we feel like we're a little bit lost or getting into trouble? Or that we're a bit harassed and run down by the world? Because that's true, then we, we desperately need Jesus as our shepherd, don't we? We need Jesus there to guide us and to bring us back into the right field, into the right fold. And if that's if you don't have Jesus as your shepherd this morning, then you must talk to somebody about it before you go. You must get Jesus as your shepherd this morning. But the other question is, 
and this one I find really terrifying, what will Jesus find when he returns, when he looks at our lives? If Jesus came back tomorrow and, and saw my life, would he, would he find faith? Would he find a Christian who is, is maturing and developing and, and super spiritual? Or would he find one that's a little bit dusty and, and needs dusting off and being wound back up again and brought back to life? Have you stopped growing? Do you find yourself reverting to the, to the flesh, to our fleshy nature when no one is looking? Then we need to get our head in the game. We need to get back into the, into the race because there is eternity at stake. And we need to train like those athletes with our eye on the prize, wanting to win something, an eternal prize. But there is wonderful hope, isn't there? And good things for those of us who are in Christ. And that is, that is the thing about these leaders that we've looked at today. Moses saw something that was just incredible. He saw a land, a promised land, that the Israelites could dwell in and own and worship God and live in peace in. And Nehemiah saw it too. He saw something special that was right there that they could grab. If only they were living in the right way. And Paul saw it too. He saw a vision of a heaven, of a land that we could possess and own and be at peace and joy. And they had this vision. And if we can get a glimpse of that, if we can see it, and if we can own it, then we can run for it. We can run for it as hard as we can and discipline ourselves as hard as we can. So don't wait for somebody else to pull your hair out. You run for it. Don't be a sheep. Don't be immature. Run for the prize. It's time for the church to it's time for the church to wake up because God is doing great things. And we need to be mature and spiritual to receive them and to run with them. Amen. 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 All right, let's pray.